Welcome in, welcome aboard. Seth Goldberg with you here on a show to be named later. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for finding us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud. Subscribe on your favorite service. Get these delivered straight to your phone each and every time we put out a new episode. Or follow me on Twitter at SethGoldberg17. Like my Facebook page, Seth Goldberg Sports. We'll get you the podcasts each and every time. Fun show for you today. Spoke with former Buffalo Bill, now a member of the Buffalo Bills radio team and the new ACC network set to launch in late August. Eric Wood going to join us coming up shortly here on the show. Talk to Eric about a lot. The Bills, uh, the, the ACC at large, some Syracuse thoughts. Really good stuff with Eric Wood. So we'll get to that here in a little bit on the show. Um, also, I'm recording this on July 31st. It is MLB trade deadline day. Got to talk about the big stunning trade to the Houston Astros of Zach Greinke and what that does to the New York Yankees. Making that Astros team clearly the top in the American League. However, we start by hearing from ACC Network analyst and former Buffalo Bill, Eric Wood, here on a show to be named later. And now we're joined by former Buffalo Bills offensive lineman, now an analyst for the ACC Network, Eric Wood, joining us here. Eric, uh, first and foremost, congratulations. You're making this transition from player to analyst. How's it been going so far? It's been going well. You know, last year I did a, a little spot duty for Fox, did a couple of pregame shows, uh, and traveled around and enjoyed some different stadiums, visited former teammates and whatnot, and we had a great time. But uh, this fall will be all work with uh, ACC Network games on Saturdays and Bills games on Sundays and uh, calling, uh, doing color for both of those. Eric, you know, I'm, I'm curious what that was like for you, uh, your retirement, given the, the circumstances, given that it was injury-related. Um, what was that like? Was it difficult to go through that? It uh, definitely was because I was definitely not prepared for it. I had just signed a contract extension before the season. Uh, I was the only player on the team to play 100% of the snaps, even through the playoff game. So um, it was definitely a shock to me and my family. But, um, you know, God's timing is perfect, and, and I trust in that. And uh, looking forward to what's ahead in, in this new endeavor into the uh, broadcasting world. And before we get into the Bills a little bit now and, and you know, the broadcasting world, how are you doing? How, how is your health right now? I'm great. I feel great. And uh, it's odd because uh, I feel better now than when I was playing. And, and I feel like maybe I should still be playing. But uh, with the neck deal that I had, uh, there's absolutely no return to play. So um, I'll just uh, be thankful that I got to walk away from the game and still be able to play golf and work out and go boating and things I like to do with me and my family and friends. And then, um, like I mentioned, excited about this new opportunity. Yeah, and still be involved in in football, as as you're mentioning here. Uh, Let's talk some bills here for a minute before we get to the ACC and the ACC network, Eric. Uh, That Buffalo offensive line, obviously, without you on it, there was a bit of a hole there. Uh, What do you see this year for the bills with their offensive line? Uh, Do you think it can improve over where it was last year? Yeah, I definitely think so. You know, last year was a little unfair to the group because I had a career-ending neck injury out of nowhere, uh, but was still under contract. Richie Incognito was still under contract, and he went into a retirement, which he's now out of. And then Cordy Glenn, they traded him pre-draft to move up to get Josh Allen. But all those things considered, 
you know, you lose from your center all the way through your left tackle, and, and that's not tough to re- that that is tough to replace in one off season. So they went out this year and and they drafted Cody Ford in the second round and brought in a whole bunch of free agents that all have starting experience. So it'll be interesting to see who um, rises to the top through training camp. And, and I know it's a very popular storyline what that starting five will end up looking like. You know, you mentioned Cody Ford coming in as a second-round pick. Uh, You've been through that transition, obviously. You've watched a ton of players go through that transition. How difficult is it to go from being a college player, even if you're a great college player, to contributing in the NFL uh, year one, week one? You know, it can be tough. And uh, for me, it was a position change. I went from center to right guard, which I played my rookie year. For Cody, uh, hopefully, if, if he is in the starting lineup, he'll go from right tackle in college to right tackle in the NFL, which hopefully is an easy transition from that standpoint. But, you know, the NFL offenses are different than what you're used to in college, and you're playing with your hand in the dirt a whole lot more than you are in college, which can be, you know, something that you definitely have to work on. And I'm sure he's drilled it a whole bunch this summer and through the spring. Um, But then from a talent standpoint, what you got to get used to is, although uh, Cody may have came from the Big 12, everybody is good in the NFL, and even the backups are – you know, the best players you went against in college. So you really have to elevate your game play after play, week after week. Eric, last thing I want to get to with the Bills here, and, and you mentioned Josh Allen earlier. Obviously, you guys make the playoffs for, for the first time in, in quite some time with Tyrod Taylor. Make the transition uh, to Josh Allen. What did you see out of him in his rookie year, and, and what do you think are the, the strengths of his game now moving forward into year two? You know, I saw a lot of competitiveness. I saw leadership qualities. I saw a huge arm, a lot of athleticism, and a lot of reason for optimism from Bills fans. Uh, Early in the season, he had some struggles, and then he got hurt. Uh, He comes back from that injury, and what I saw was a a more mature player, seemed like a smarter quarterback, stayed in the pocket a little bit more, uh, made some pre-snap reads that were were obvious to me on some on some really quick third down throws that I was impressed with, and um, you know there's a lot of reason to be excited for Josh Allen in year two, especially with the weapons they added on the outside for him and the guys they added up front. We're talking to Eric Wood, former Buffalo Bill, now a member of the ACC Network, and and Eric, let's dive into this ACC Network. Obviously, you you played in a, at a school that is now in the ACC, uh, but what what drew you to the ACC Network? What was interesting to you as this launches in in about a month? You know, just a really cool opportunity for me to cover one conference. Um, you know, college football. There's so many teams, so to be able to work with one conference and really hone in on the players and learn about them, the coaches and everything uh, is a really cool opportunity uh, for me being in Louisville, having my Louisville Cardinals in the conference. That is a really cool and unique opportunity for me to be an analyst uh, of the conference of my alma mater. And then, you know, location wise for me, being on this side of the country makes it possible for me to then jump from college game Saturdays and then be wherever the bills are playing uh, by Saturday night. Yeah, it should be a it should be a busy fall, but a lot of fun, I'm sure. Uh, curious what your thoughts are on this Louisville team coaching change. Uh, Scott Satterfield in now for Bobby Petrino. Where do you see Louisville this year? You know, I think they're going to struggle again this year. Honestly, um, and, and I say struggle. I, I'm hoping to see an improved product on the field, and I think you will. I think they'll compete harder. I think they'll play harder. Um, I think they'll be a little bit tougher just because it seems to be more buy-in from the entire team. There seemed to be a disconnect 
Uh, and, and a lot's been made of that this offseason of the disconnect last year between the players and the staff. So this year it seems to be more buy-in. I know there's a lot of optimism around Scott Satterfield, but until he can rec- get a couple recruiting classes in there, it might be blind optimism to say that the Cardinals are going to go bowling uh, come this winter. Looking at, at Syracuse, being up here in, in uh, Syracuse, New York, what do you see out of the Orange? What do you see out of Dino Babers as kind of the outside perspective as you get ready for the season? You know, I've been, been, been so impressed by him uh, through the last couple of years, and, and I think everybody nationally has. Uh, really quick turnaround up there. You know, the only team in the ACC lately that has been able to give Clemson consistent fifths. Uh, can they get over that hump this year? We'll see. Um, but, you know, they got to replace Dungy at quarterback, but they return a lot of talent. And with that fast paced offense, um, they're really able to give some teams fits. And it's, it's been fun to watch them have a resurgence. You know, my time spent up in Western New York, I was surrounded by a lot of Syracuse fans. Uh, it's been a really fun rivalry for me to participate in from a football standpoint and basketball standpoint. Uh, so I am excited about what the Orange can do this fall. But the problem is um, I, I believe them and everybody else will be looking up at the Clemson Tigers, and I know that is not a hot take. <laughs> we'll get to Clemson in a moment, but I'm just curious. I mean, it's been 10 years since you were in college, but this is quite a different Syracuse program than when you would have come up here and played them. What do you remember about playing uh, SU in those old Big East games up here in the Dome? You know, the Carrier Dome um, was always loud. It was a fun place to play, you know, a historic venue. Uh, that was always really cool. Um, and then when I was there, I was always going against uh, a defensive tackle by the name of Arthur Jones, who I was always really impressed with. And kind of, he actually, I believe, is a Buffalo guy or a Western New York guy. Um, so it's been fun to get to know him over the years and his brothers, and, and so impressed by them. Uh, but it was always a, a challenge going against Arthur weekend or year in year out. Eric, last one I want to get to. You mentioned Clemson there, the class of this conference. Uh, when you look at that team. I guess the the, t- the the easiest way for me to phrase this is, do you think there's a weakness there, or are they just strengths across the board? No, I really don't. I mean, they do lose an entire defensive line, but they replace it with a lot of talent. Um, so maybe some inexperience up front on defense early could potentially be a weakness. But, you know, those guys got a good amount of experience last year when you consider the margins by Clemson uh, that Clemson was winning by. So, uh, no, there's not a whole lot of weaknesses. And when you carry uh, 13 first-team all-conference players uh, heading into the season, uh, that's a good good sign for things for the Tigers. But, um, you know, it, it, they're just so disciplined and they play so hard each week um, that, that I don't know if anybody can truly even sneak up on them either. No weaknesses, just varying degrees of strengths. Uh, Eric, thanks so much right. for co- thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate the time. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Great to hear from Eric Wood, now an analyst with the ACC Network, a former Buffalo Bill. He'll also be doing Bills games on the radio this year. So if you're a Bills fan and an ACC football fan, you'll be hearing a lot of Eric Wood. Um, and I know it was only like a 10-minute conversation, uh, but just a hunch here, Eric's going to be pretty good at this thing. Uh, you know, he's going to be pretty good at this media thing. Uh, really enjoyed talking with him here on the show, and uh, hopefully we'll get to do that again. But I do want to switch gears as it is the end of July. It is July 31st as I sit here recording this. And that means that the baseball trade deadline has passed. Today was the day 
4 o'clock Eastern. We're after 4 o'clock as we sit here. And I had a couple of big takeaways. We'll get to the Astros. We'll get to that trade of Zach Greinke and what that does to change the American League because it has a massive, massive impact. But I want to start off with the New York Yankees. And realistically, these two are tied together. These two things are not one in the same, but they're pretty close, right? Because they are related. The Yankees are winning the American League East. It didn't matter if they made a move today or they didn't, and they ended up not. But it didn't matter what they did or didn't do today. They are winning the American League East. They are far enough ahead that you can say that with relative certainty. A move today would have been a move simply for the postseason. That's it. Because the Yankees right now are in the playoffs. Not only are they in the playoffs, but they're one of the three best teams in baseball. They've got the the third best record, and they're only separated by a game as far as the best record in the entire league. So no matter what you might hear, let me say this. First and foremost, the New York Yankees are a very good baseball team. The New York Yankees are a very good baseball team despite not making a trade before the trade deadline. The New York Yankees are a very good baseball team, despite not fortifying their starting rotation. So now that we've we've got that out of the way, it's kind of confusing and surprising as to why the Yankees didn't do something, as to why the Yankees did not go make some kind of move. And maybe, and, and obviously this was the case, but they must have seen that the prices were just too high for their liking and that people were maybe asking for just a little bit too much. And ultimately, I think that's what happened to a lot of teams across the board. Zach Wheeler didn't get moved. Robbie Ray didn't go anywhere. Aaron Sanchez was traded from the Blue Jays, but only after he was traded as a reliever, right? Not a starter. Marcus Stroman got moved. Trevor Bauer got moved. But they both got traded to non-contenders. They both got traded to teams that are just hoping to claw their way to 500 by the end of the year. The only contending team that added an impact starting pitcher was the Houston Astros. And they paid a heavy price. They paid with four of their top prospects three of them in the top five of their system. So Houston paid for that. And maybe the Yankees said, you know what? Our team's pretty damn good right now. Our team has already won 68 games and is just a game behind the Dodgers for the best record in all of baseball. And oh, by the way, we haven't been healthy all season. We haven't had Giancarlo Stanton all year. We haven't had an inning out of Dellen Batansis or Luis Severino. Maybe that's what the Yankees are thinking as they looked at this trade deadline. And part of me says, you know what? You can't count on those guys. You can't count on Luis Severino being healthy. You can't count on Dellen Batansis coming back and being healthy. And the only reason to say that is because, well, so far they've hit setback after setback. But maybe the plan is, and I'd imagine the plan is, hey, These guys are going to come back. These guys are going to take over. These guys are going to be big pieces for us. Not only down the stretch of the season, but into October. 
And if you're a Yankee fan, you've got to be hoping that Brian Cashman and his staff are right in that assessment. The other half of the equation is the trade market. And as I said, maybe everybody just thought, hey, you know what? These prices are just a little bit too high. And I think that that's exactly what we're seeing. John Heyman reported shortly after the deadline that the Arizona Diamondbacks were asking for Clint Frazier and three more top prospects for Robbie Ray, which is absurd. I mean, it's just ridiculous. That might have been the package to give up for Zach Greinke, but not for Robbie Ray. Bob Clappish, longtime New York writer, reported that the Mets would have traded Marcus Stroman, flipped him to the Yankees, but wanted two of their top 10 prospects, Davey Garcia and Estevan Floreal, which was astronomical. It wasn't going to happen. So the Yankees sat tight. And you know what? If the Astros didn't make the Granky move, I probably would have looked at it and said, you know what? Fine. You know, they don't match up perfectly, but hey, it's Verlander and Cole, and if you can get past them, you probably have a pretty good shot. You'll still be able to hit your way to a title. All right, you're going to get Severino back. Maybe he can't go six innings every time, but maybe he can go four or five and at least help you out. Dallin Batances will be back in the bullpen, and you'll be all right. And so I think that when I looked at it that way, I talked myself into understanding why maybe the Yankees weren't going to go out there and get another starting pitcher. Why it didn't make sense. And then you hear about the Zach Greinke trade. And that really changed how I looked at the deadline. Because the Astros added another really, 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 really good arm. They paid the price for it. They're going to pay the price for it moving forward with the salary tag that's attached to Greinke. But now you can roll out in games one, two, and three, Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, and Zach Greinke, and that is as formidable a top three as I can remember in recent baseball. That's going to be really tough to beat in a five-game series, in a seven-game series, in a one-game playoff. It doesn't matter. That's going to be really difficult to beat. And meanwhile, the Yankees not only did not add a starting pitcher, they did not add a relief pitcher. They didn't bolster that bullpen. They did nothing. And look, if you're the Yankees and you want to rationalize this, I can understand it. Hey, guys, the prices were too high. We didn't want to mortgage everything for a rental. I understand that. Hey, you know what? We think our pitchers are going to pitch a little bit better. We think this was really just a bad, bad week. I understand that, too. Look at the Yankees' pitching numbers from the beginning of July until the beginning of last week. They were pitching to a sub-3 ERA before that awful stretch of eight games. They were pitching really well. And so maybe they look at it that way. Maybe they look at this and say, you know what? We weren't so bad. We were pitching pretty well. Our bullpen is pretty lights out. And come playoff time, we might only need these guys to go three or four innings. And if you only need them to go three or four innings, these guys can do that. So I was understanding why they didn't make the move, why they didn't overpay, why they didn't panic, whatever word you want to use. I almost understood it. 
until I saw the Granky trade. Because while the Yankees stood pat, the Astros got significantly better. And the Dodgers got better and added reinforcements. And the Braves got better and added reinforcements. And teams around the league that are contending, the Cubs, got better and added a couple of reinforcements. And the Yankees not only did not change their starting rotation, did not only not bolster their bullpen, they did nothing. They did absolutely nothing. Now again, I think this team is still talented enough to go win a World Series in a given year. I think this team is still good enough to go win a World Series in a given year. But I would have felt a whole lot better about that had they gone out and gotten gotten a starting pitcher. I wanted Trevor Bauer. That's the guy I like. That's the guy I wanted. But to me, it was pretty clear that was never happening. Who else was out there that you could have gotten? Who could you have swung to make this team a World Series champion? Because the offense is good enough. The bullpen is good enough. You question if the rotation is. In a good stretch, it might be. Or you can end up with last week, where you're letting up seven runs a start for eight straight starts. That's not going to get the job done. So thanks for joining us here on a show to be named later. That'll do it for us today. Thanks again to Eric Wood, former Buffalo Bill, now with the ACC Network and the Buffalo Bills Radio Network. So you'll hear plenty of him throughout the fall. Thanks to you for finding us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Don't forget, subscribe on any of your favorite platforms. Get these delivered straight to your phone each and every time we put out a new episode. That's really the best way. Otherwise, you can follow me on Twitter at SethGoldberg17 or on Facebook, SethGoldbergSports, to get these into your Facebook and Twitter feeds, well, as soon as we post them. But thanks again for listening. Thanks again for finding us. And uh, we'll talk to you again very soon here on a show to be named later.